talk through some setup as we're thinking about the Spirit-filled church. Today is Pentecost Sunday. And that's a, that's a Sunday that's marked out on the church calendar. It's something that perhaps you didn't grow up with that. Um, it, it's something that actually marks 50 days past Easter, uh, which would have been the Passover celebration. There are multiple feasts in the calendar that was uh, celebrated uh, as a part of the Jewish calendar. And so we acknowledge those things. We, we recognize God's original and covenant with the people of Israel. And then we see through his new covenant how it is that his word continues to just spread forth, not just to the nation of Israel, but spread forth to all nations, calling all nations and tribes and tongues and people to himself. And so today, what we're marking is somewhat the birthday of the church that you're sitting in. Now you may think, well, that's a weird way to put it. Well, thank you. Sometimes I strive for that. But what I'm talking about is this is not Metro Life Church's anniversary. This is the birthing of the Spirit-filled church. And you may say, well, why wouldn't you call it a New Covenant church? I think that is a part of it. But I think that there are times that we can kind of hide in our doctrine in a way that excuses us from aspects of the Christian life that we're called to. Think about it this way. Last week at the close of the sermon, I said that we were going to be going into a kind of a mini-series, so to speak, on the Spirit-filled church. And in the midst of this, we're going to actually be going through 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 very deliberately, very intentionally, and slowing down. I I was acknowledging at, at lunch with a friend this week that I have been taking passages a bit too large of chunks at times. And we've been talking about this as elders, and I realized that as I learn different things as a leader in the church... You are the ones that experience either the good or the bad that comes from that. And so I just want to say thank you for being gracious and patient as I learn those things. The good news is we're going to take an entire chapter today (laughs) as a response to that. (laughs) But what we're also going to do over the next few weeks, the next couple of months in the summer months, is we're going to intentionally slow down and go through 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. Because they speak of something that's actually vital for the church. And so today, what you're going to see me doing is a little bit of kind of marking out the boundaries that we're going to put this foundation in place for us as a church. And when we're talking about things related to the the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, when we're talking about things related to the Holy Spirit, there may be a variety of things that you individually have experienced in the church, whether growing up or something that you've recently walked through, good or bad or indifferent, and yet we see in the church in Corinth a vibrant, spirit-filled church really messing things up. And Paul, in his course correction for them, never tells them to cease seeking spiritual things in their gatherings. He brings course correction, but he doesn't shut things down. And I wonder at times if our experiences lead us to shutting things down that lead to a life abundant. I was reading in John 10.10 earlier and just thinking about this abundant life that we've been called to. And, and, And my concern for us as a church at times is, We have the salvation part figured out. We we recognize our need before a holy God, and so we have acknowledged that need, and it's almost like we are brought up to this this baseline of your good in the presence of the Lord. And that's something to be rejoiced in. That's, That's of first importance. 
But is that abundance? You see, those are not the words of men that say that I've called you to have a life more abundant. Those are Jesus' own words himself. I've called you to a life abundant. And I would just simply ask the question at the outset today. Does the fruit of your life spiritually speak of abundance in Jesus Christ? And you may notice that I don't start off with how spiritual are you as if it were just this undefinable thing that sits out there. I ask the question, in Jesus Christ, does your spiritual life represent abundance? Do you find your soul filled in gathering together? Is this something that you crave being together with the other saints? Is this something that you crave throughout the rest of the week? In Acts chapter 2, I believe that we have a picture of the fulfillment of many prophecies, the foundation of the Spirit-filled church, and the fellowship that we are called to. And that's what we're going to take a look at together today. And so before we read God's Word, we're just going to take it in three sections today. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you this morning that we can turn to your Word and be instructed in how it is that we can live for your glory. God, I ask today that you would revive our hearts to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, and all the other names I'm not going to try to say now, and visitors from Rome, and Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own languages the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocked, saying, They are filled with new wine. You know, the day of Pentecost represents one of three of major feasts that we would see in Jerusalem. We actually find this originally in Leviticus, chapter 23, verse 15, where it says, In the Feast of Weeks, you shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you were brought the sheaf of the wave offering. Now, you may be wondering, what is the wave offering? This is not what happens at stadiums when the crowd begins to do the wave. This is not what happens at Disney on Main Street when the parade is going by and the princesses do that wave. No, that's not the wave offering. What is a wave offering that is being offered? 
It's actually a sacrifice that is being waved out and then brought back in. It's being waved out and then brought back in again over the altar. What's happening here is at the end of the harvest, there are two loaves of bread that are brought out, and it's offered as a wave offering. And in waving this offering, that is holding it out to the altar and then bringing it back again, it's being dedicated to God for His purposes, and it's being received back, representing the harvest that comes alone from God. A wave offering. That's a harvest that comes to the worshiper. What is it? It's an expression of gratitude. It's recognizing God as the source, as the one who is supplying their daily need. They are dedicating it to Him and then they are receiving it back from Him. A wave offering. We don't talk about that oftentimes. But you see, the disciples were about to begin to reap a harvest of souls that has now continued for over 2,000 years. Sitting here are the fruits of that harvest that they are thanking God for in that wave offering. Let's make a clear connection to Scripture that what is happening when we gather together is far more significant than just setting apart an hour and a half to two hours on a Sunday to get dressed up for what can seem like no reason. There's something significant happening here. You and I are today connected to this wave offering that started in Acts chapter 2. We don't often talk about it this way, but what are our lives called to be? They're called to be dedicated to the things of the Lord. And they're called to be received back as a gift from the one who is our source and supply. Now there were three signs. There were kind of different senses that were engaged in this moment. There was sound, there was sight, there was speech. They, they heard something, they saw something, and then something was said. So let's just consider each one of them. There was a sound. There was, there was a wind that came, and, and wind is often in Scripture used as a recurring sign or a reference to the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, if you look up in, in the ESV Bible, the phrase ears to hear, that actually is referenced in Deuteronomy, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They all speak of us having ears to hear, that they would be tuned to hear, or that they would be inclined to hear and listen to the voice of the Lord. Let me just ask this question very simply. I'm not asking about the sound of wind. I'm not asking about some form of tinnitus that you may be dealing with, but I am asking this question of us as a church. I'm asking this question of myself this morning. Are we listening for the Spirit's leading in our lives? What voice is influencing us the most? Is it that podcast? Is it your own inner voice represented as your truth? Or are you listening to the leading and the leanings of the Holy Spirit? He speaks today. And he speaks in the most mundane of moments. I think there's something interesting that we're going to observe today. And that is, there is this wonderful moment of Pentecost. But if you know anything about the church calendar, the most significant thing about the church calendar is not the days that we most often reference even in the gathered church. The largest portion of the church's liturgical calendar is what's called sacred, ordinary days. So you have Advent, you have Christmas, you have Epiphany, you have Lent, you have Holy Week, you have Easter, you have Pentecost Sunday. But what what fills in all the in-between? Sacred, ordinary days. And here's the truth. 
I need to be listening to the Holy Spirit in the most ordinary of my days. I need to be listening for the Holy Spirit in the most ordinary of my days. Uh, the other night we had the opportunity to be at a Maverick City concert. It was wonderful. But they, they sang this line. They said, let's get desperate. I don't have to get somewhere I already am. My ordinary days lead me to a desperation. Do they for you as well? You see, there's something represented here that is available to you today. That is the leading of the Holy Spirit speaking to your life. Are you listening to how he's speaking to you? It may be through a friend. It may be through a spouse. It may be through a sermon. Maybe through community group or some of our other ministries. Or it may just be in a moment in your car when he says, do this instead of that. Are you listening for the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life. We need that for our sacred, ordinary days. So we begin with sound. There was also sight. Verse 3 shows us that they saw something. They, they saw fire, and fire is a common biblical symbol of God's presence. We remember this back to accounts of being led through the desert by the fire at night. God's presence was with them. In his sermon, A Dangerous Pentecost... Halford Lukak tells of a pastor named Lorenzo, and he was a great Florentine patron of the arts. And he was very proud of the spectacles that he would create in the church to be staged for those who would gather together. And in, in his productions, there would be these amazing and realistic pageants of religious events performed in the church. But one Pentecost, he went too far. He used actual fire to depict the descent of the tongues of the flames on the apostles. And, and the fragile stage set that they had put in place actually caught fire before these horrified onlookers. And in the midst of catching fire, the entire church burned to the ground. But there was fire present on, in Acts 2. What's the point of me sharing an illustration like that? That's sad and tragic to be sure. But here's the point for us today. We pray for Pentecostal power, but we do not try to manufacture it. That is the Spirit's doing. We don't try to manufacture something that He's already done and He's already provided. We are not here to put together a spectacle for others to see. So when we are praying for Pentecostal power, that is right. When we try to manufacture it, we are stepping outside of what God's good is for us. So let's pray for it, but let's not attempt to manipulate or manufacture it. Luke makes a special point of the fact that these tongues of fire were divided and that they rested on each one of them. I mean, just consider this, that under the Old Covenant, under what we see in, in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the Spirit was present and He was ministering corporately and He only came on selected individuals personally. That would be like the kings, the priests, the prophets. But now in the new covenant, we have this benefit that the Spirit now comes upon us and resides in each one of us individually. We are not crying out for something as, you, as if those who are saved here haven't already received it. You have the Holy Spirit with you. So there was something that they saw. There was a sound, they saw something, and then there was, lastly, in verse 4, there was speech. 
Now we, we see this kind of unpacked in verses 5 through 13. That this was a significant thing that happened here in these tongues that came upon the individuals. You may notice that I'm not defining what tongues are. I think that 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 speaks of a different form of tongues. Can I just very simply say this? Seth Greer is going to unpack this a bit more next week. I'm excited for you to hear from him. Uh, He does just a wonderful job. I was reading through his notes uh, Friday and and yesterday. They're just wonderful job of unpacking the difference in the tongues that are languages that are talked about here and the tongues that you and I can have as a prayer language and a way to commune with God in a significant way in the church. I think he does just a wonderful job, so I don't want to get in the midst of that other than just letting you know that he'll be preaching. Uh, The week after that, Mike Gilland will be sharing for Father's Day as well, and I'm excited for you to hear from both of these men. But the tongues that are happening here is a miraculous event that actually should take us back to the book of Genesis. What do I mean by that? Well, these tongues are languages, and the other, the other nations that are gathered there begin to recognize they are telling, it says, in this account, in Luke's account in, in Acts chapter 2, that they are telling the glorious works of God in my language. Now, let's just recognize something, that in the midst of that sound, there's actually two miracles that are happening in that moment. There's the miracle of them being able to articulate the wondrous works of God in someone else's language other than their own heart or native tongue. But there's also the ability for those who are there receiving to hear. That's two miracles by my count. The ability to speak and those to be able to hear and understand. And my question is this morning, are we seeking both? Are we seeking both? Because what's happening in this moment is the inverse of Babel. It actually reverses the destruction that the Tower of Babel brought in Genesis 11, 1 through 9. We see that account. What happened at Babel? Well, the people were gathering together and trying to say, see, we will come together and make our name great. And what does God do? He disperses them. And what does he do at the day of Pentecost? He brings them back together and he says, See, I will gather you together and make my name great. And I will use the languages that I I cursed you with in the dispersion, and I will use them for my glory. I'm the only one who will be praised. So Pentecost is the reversal of what happened at the Tower of Babel. There's a significance to what we celebrate and we commemorate today. And there's a significance that we should understand so that it propels us to lean in to receive all of the good for all of the glory that our lives can bring to God. Here at Pentecost, God enables people whose different languages separate them to understand each other, praising God. You know, if there's any proper use of unity, we've been looking at that as we've been going through 1 Corinthians purity and unity within the church if there's any proper use of unity in the church it's praising God for those of you who have been able to join with us for different uh, partnership conferences through grace partnership perhaps you've experienced just a foretaste of this and what is all of this a foretaste of it's a foretaste of heaven when every knee every nation tribe tongue will gather around the throne and they will kneel and say, all hail King Jesus. This is a foretaste of heaven that we're invited into. 
See, Luke is introducing the expanding gospel ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's introducing the expanding gospel holy, uh, ministry of the Holy Spirit as the gospel is beginning to spread outward from the tr- church in Jerusalem. And we actually see this is connected to our creation mandate as well. If you remember from our Origins series last fall, I know you remember that, obviously. This is why I referenced it. There was something that they were given as a creation mandate to fill and populate the earth. We certainly see that childbearing is a part of that. But this is no less part of it, our Christian witness, to go out to the ends of the earth and to share the good news of the gospel with those who are around. I need the Holy Spirit for that. I feel inadequate on my best days to be able to share the good news of the gospel. And yet what we see happening here is the foundation of the church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2. Now we've seen assemblies and we've seen congregations. We've seen the gatherings and the feasts that happen and and those who are are going to go up together up to the mountain. We see this in the Psalms. We see this throughout the, the Old Testament. And what's happening here is in Jerusalem, God is starting with his people who are called by his name there who believe on Jesus Christ and he is utilizing them to begin the spread of the gospel. In Acts chapter 11, we see the first Gentile church that is founded in Antioch, and you'll often hear us use Antioch as a bit of a model for ministry here at Metro Life Church. I'd invite you to read that on your own as you have ability. What a wonderful event this must have been. I mean, we're just a few verses into this chapter. What a wonderful event this must have been. Can you imagine being there? Just for a moment, let your, let your mind wander and wander to this room as they were gathered together. An event of spiritual fullness. A moment of demarcation. But you know what it makes me wonder about for my own life today? And, and I'm just going to ask this question invite you into what I'm wrestling with. Where do I find my fullness these days? See, it might be said this, we're all full of something. The question is, full of what? Are you full of yourself? Are you full of this world or are you full of the Holy Spirit? See, being full or fullness spiritually is a necessity in life. There are right types of fullness, there are wrong types of fullness. We learn this actually throughout the book of Acts. Let me just give you a few examples. Once we are full of the Holy Spirit, what does this lead to? It leads to a fullness of wonder we see in Acts chapter 3, verse 10. Of doctrine we see later on in, in chapter 2 as well as 5.28. Of wisdom we see in 6.3. Of faith we see in 6.5 and 8. Of power we see in 6.8. Of God's word we see in 9.36. Of joy we see in 13.52. And of gladness we see in Acts 14.17. We're all full of something. Those sound like wonderful things to be filled with. And we can receive those things through the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Those are a gift welcoming us to receive them. But there are also wrong types of fullness. We see the antithesis of so many of these things in lying we see in Acts chapter 5-3. Of indignation toward the things of the Lord, we see in Acts 5.17. Of deceit and fraud, we see in 13.10. Of envy, we see in 13.45. Of confusion, we see in 14.29. 
and of wrath we see in 1928. See, what we're talking about here is fulfillment coming through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. But what's the foundation of that fulfillment? We see some questions being asked at the end of this passage. What does this all mean, Acts 2.12 says? What does this all mean? And others mock and they say this, they are filled with new wine. But what does Peter do? Let's read together, beginning in verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show signs and wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Therefore, the day of the Lord comes, a great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus Delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed him by hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children. And for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord call, our God calls to himself. 
And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and were added that day about 3,000 souls. I mean, talk about being ready in season and out. I'd love to think that 3,000 souls would be saved just at reading that account again, and yet there's not that many people here. But what did Peter do? Let's not, let's not miss kind of where he got. Let's, let's look at where he began. He began by standing up and saying, I'm ready to actually give an account for what it is that we're seeing and that we're witnessing. I wonder today how many of us, when we have a sense of a leading of the Holy Spirit, even know what to do with it. Let me give you an example. With that coworker that shares something with you, and you just have that sense of you should pray for them, do we even know how to do that at times? Do we even know how to take that step and just say, I, I want to pray with you. I don't want to make it awkward for you. All of the right things to say and to put in place, or do we just hear that and think, I've said a little prayer in my heart. See, that, that's as... That's as That costs you as much as tweeting thoughts and prayers or putting that on Facebook to events that are devastating in life. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm saying when there are actual devastating moments in people's lives in front of you and you sense the leading of the Holy Spirit to pray for someone, do you do that or do you just send out thoughts and prayers? See, there may be something the Holy Spirit wants to do through you in that moment for them. There may be something that the Holy Spirit wants to do in them in that moment, but here's the question I'm asking. Are you ready to give a defense? Are you ready to act on it? See, Peter was ready to act on it. What did he do? He stood up and he boldly proclaimed, they're not drunk as you suppose. Let me tell you what's going on according to God's word. See, there's a difference in those two things. Are we ready to stand and give an account? He's put on the spot. In Spurgeon's Preacher's College, they had a tradition of giving students a text right on the spot and having them preach to Charles Spurgeon himself, as well as their staff. And one time, a student was given Zacchaeus as his subject. And the student stood and paused for a moment, and he said, I'm going to deliver this sermon in three points. Zacchaeus was of little stature, and so am I. Zacchaeus was up a tree, and so am I. Zacchaeus came down, and so will I, and he sat down. Best three-point sermon ever. I would have loved to be there. That's a, that's a brilliant moment, isn't it? See, Peter's put on the spot, but he doesn't, he doesn't take this kind of approach where he tries to reduce something down. No, he expounds upon the plan and the will of the Lord by calling back to Scripture, and he delivers the first sermon to the first church to ever be established. No pressure for me today in reading from that sermon. See, today in looking at these passages i'm not saying you have to be prepared to preach a sermon but are you ready to explain are you ready to make biblical connections to the work of the holy spirit given through the gospel see that's what that's what peter is giving us an example of let me just simply boil it down to two ways peter explains what is happening through the work of the holy spirit and we see this in verses 14 through 21 
So we talked about Pentecost as this historical fulfillment. It's actually one of the many feasts that are celebrated as a part of Jewish tradition and custom. But it's the historical fulfillment that we see in the prophecy in Joel 2.28. And I want us to just note a few things. If we look at verse 17, it's this kind of packed verse in Acts chapter 2. He says, the last days. What he's doing there is he's saying, the days that begin with the resurrection of Jesus Christ and extend until his second coming. We might call that kind of this inter-Advent age. It's what we, we talk about at Advent season where we say, our hearts rejoice in your first coming as Emmanuel, and our hearts long for your second coming. And it's why we stand here and just cry out, Maranatha! See, I don't have to get desperate, I already am. And perhaps you feel that way too. There's no knock on that concert the other night, not in any way, shape, or form. I know that's not what they were trying to communicate, but church, I just want to acknowledge I don't stand here as one who has to get desperate. I understand desperation because I live in the same age that you do. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord, and save. These are the last days that we are living in. And there's a promise in verse 21 that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. See, if you've called out to him for salvation, are you calling others to that same salvation? In the ache and the groan and the wanting of this age, that's what we're called to do. Call others to that salvation. He also talks about pouring out. What is he pouring out? He is pouring out the free gifts of grace from their true source. The gifts of grace from the Holy Spirit. He is extending the Spirit's presence to all flesh, he says. And then he goes on to kind of explain what that means. It doesn't matter your age, your gender, your social rank, your race, uh, for Jew and for Gentile. He is saying he is pouring out these gifts of grace on all flesh, on all of us to receive. And what happens that these dreams and visions are not only, only something that is prophetic, but they are this characteristic of the life of the church, that there, that there are people who are seeking these things of the Lord that we might glorify His name in our local context. And that's what we're going to build on beginning next week as Seth takes us further into 1 Corinthians 12. So that's the first thing. Peter explains what is happening through the work of the Holy Spirit. And next, he explains where this move, it, move of the Spirit came from. And let me, just, let me give you the Sunday school spoiler answer. They come from Jesus. They come from Jesus. See, he's at the center of all of this. He explains in verse 22 that it's the life of Jesus. He explains in verse 23 it is the death of Jesus. He explains in verses 24 through 32 that it is the resurrection of Jesus. He explains through verses 33 through 36 that it is the ascension and exaltation of Jesus. Where does this move of the Holy Spirit come from for you and for me? What is the true source of the Spirit's work and power? Jesus Christ himself. And if there's anything that we're seeking that leads us away from that, it's the wrong spirit. And you may say, well, they're experiencing something. Yeah, they're thinking about it very deeply, though. See, the Holy Spirit, first and foremost, caused them to think. Not to abandon their thoughts, 
What does it say? Let all the house of Israel what? Know. Engage your brains. Brothers, don't abandon them. Let the house of Israel know. They were made to think. The, Spirit, the Holy Spirit leads us to think. See, there are many in the world that want to say Christianity is just brainless. It is a religion for the weak. And actually, I would just say this. Any other religion is a false drug for the masses just to be giving into. My faith calls me and causes me to think very deeply about the things of the Lord. It's what gives me pause in the sense of I have to respond to everything in the moment. That sounds pretty foolish to me. It's how my best conflicts with Stephanie start. That felt a little honest, actually. <laughs> to repent, one has to think. What do they say? What shall we do? We're seeing this evidence pile up of what's happening here. How is it that we, we should respond? And what does Peter tell them? Think about what you've done and repent. Repentance requires thinking. Repentance requires thinking because it means that we have a change of what? It means that we have a change of mind. It means that we have a change of heart, but we have to think about those things. And the people in Jerusalem gathered together in this day were made to think about Jesus. They were made to think about Jesus. We see this in six very clear ways that we have to face the person of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. We must own our part. It says you were crucified. We have to understand that he is Lord in Christ. And it leads to a conviction where we're cut to the heart, even as Peter says here in Acts chapter 2. It leads our heart to respond by asking, what shall I do? And this leads to obedience, that we, are repent, that we repent and be baptized. And then next, and lastly today, Paul is going to turn his attention to the effects of Pentecost. Would you read with me in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any has need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. In closing, I want to acknowledge four things that we see in this final verse. We see doctrine, fellowship, bread, and prayer. I'm actually only going to give time to two of those today. I'm going to give time to fellowship. I'm going to give time to prayer. But when we're talking about doctrine, what are we talking about? We're talking about divine truth. We're talking about light coming into the darkness of, of mind and food that feeds the hungry heart. We're talking about fellowship, we're talking about koinonia, partnering, sharing in a common interest, a deep association. We talk about the bread, we're talking about the Lord's Supper. The church started that at once. And we're talking about prayer. Prayer is inextricably linked to spiritual power. The presence of God will be realized and his power will be received through prayer. 
But I want to make a connection to something I said earlier. Verses 1 through 41 in Acts chapter 2 happen the same day. Verses 42 through 47 begin that day, and then they're carried out through sacred ordinary days. Let's make the connection in what's happening here. This is our daily forever calling. This is our daily forever calling. I I don't want us to miss that and say that was neat what happened in Acts chapter 2. I wonder if anything like that exists in a ministry in the church. Can I just tell you? No. No, what we see in Acts chapter 2 does not exist in a ministry of the church. It's supposed to exist in your home. And every time that we gather together. So if we're exclusively thinking about these things existing, quote-unquote, in the church or in a church-provided context, we are thinking wrongly about our faith. I'm just going to say this boldly. I think that fellowship is an area that we have begun to create too much structure around as a church. This has been something we've been talking about as elders for a while, as a leadership team. We've been talking through this. You guys know for years we've been working to kind of decentralize things from the office, quote-unquote, right? Because we never want there to be this sense that people can outsource their faith to the professionals. Do not outsource your faith to me. I say that in love. I say that, I say that in love. Don't outsource your faith to me or anybody else in our office. And I don't know what it looks like for the church to get better at fellowship. Can I just acknowledge this? I kind of wonder if we're bad at it, though. I kind of wonder if we're bad at it. It's been something that's been on my heart, an increasing burden on my heart for us as a church. If what you're participating in in the quote-unquote life of Metro Life Church has to come from the video that plays at the end of the service or has to come from the website or has to come through a text coming directly to your phone or has to come through the printed bulletin showing up at just the right spot on your, calendar, on your counter in the midst of just the right spot on your calendar, we might be thinking of fellowship wrongly. And do you know who we're starting with? starting with me on this as a leadership team we have a community group that meets and this summer what we're taking time to do is we're just setting books aside that's not say that doctrine is not important it's not to say that the things of the lord are not important but you know what fellowship is supposed to be a part of the vibrant experience in the church and you know where we kind of need to start is with us so we're starting there here's what i'm asking you to do today pray for us Pray for us. Because, see, I, I think that this is something that God wants to do a deep work in all of us in Metro Life Church. I want to invite the band to come out. I think this is something that God wants to do a deep work in all of our hearts in Metro Life Church. And you know what? There may be ways that you're better at this than I am, and praise God for that. But, church, Let's not neglect the simple moments at table in fellowship together. 
In fellowship, we are called to a partnership that involves our participation. That means it's going to make the highest level claim on our calendars. That means it's going to make the, the highest level claim on our finances. That means it's going to make the highest level claims in what our thoughts go to. You know, I was invited to see a movie tonight. I want to go see Top Gun Maverick. And a bunch of my friends are going. And I'm not because we have a meeting. And you know what that does to me? It doesn't just make me jealous that they're going to see Top Gun before I do. A little bit of that. It makes me long to be with my friends who are going to go see that movie together. Breaking popcorn together is not breaking bread together. But it's not, it's not less than that either. Don't neglect the time that we're called to spend together. This is not an endorsement of Top Gun. Definitely not an endorsement of Tom Cruise. But you know, you understand the line, right? Like, we're not going to do that. Church, let's get better at this. Not so that we can be better for God's glory. But so that we are putting ourselves in the context that God created for our good and for his glory. The fellowship that we are called to in breaking bread together represents the fellowship that Jesus Christ himself laid his life down that we might receive. That seems pretty important to me in the life of the church. And it's why I want to call us to examine our hearts and the ways that God may be calling us to live for his glory. We're just going to end right here. Church, this summer is a wonderful opportunity. Perhaps the travel schedule changes over the summer other than vacation or whatever else. Perhaps the time that that has to be very intentional in the fall and the spring because of school schedules can kind of change. Perhaps there's something at work that changes over the summer where everybody just kind of kicks into a different mode mentally. I don't know your specific circumstance, but here's the thing. The call for us to be in fellowship with one another because we've been called to be in fellowship with Jesus Christ doesn't change from one season to the next. But let's examine our calendars. Let's examine our finances. Let's examine our hearts and our minds that we might give right attention to the things that God calls us rightly to in his word. And his word says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. Let us devote ourselves to the things of God that he might be you know at the end of the day the thing that will intrigue the sorcerers and the magicians of the day the things that will intrigue the world around us a watching world who is actually watching for us as the church of Jesus Christ to fail flat on our face and we can acknowledge that that's happened but in this church for this watching community and this watching world for the children that we even just dedicated this morning let us devote ourselves to something the magicians and the sorcerers of the day, they wanted to give themselves to try to purchase the power. What were they trying to purchase? Oh, it wasn't the, it wasn't the spiritual gifts. It wasn't the prophecies. It wasn't the, the miracles, as wonderful as those are. It wasn't this gift of tongues or the ability to speak in different languages. 
It was the love displayed through the church to one another, devoting themselves together. If you want to know what the spiritual power is that draws the world around you into the love of Jesus Christ, it is the love that is expressed amongst his community of believers. So this is a high calling for us, church. Let's put a high priority on it. And pray that God is glorified. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it instructs us for life and godliness. Lord, we recognize this morning that that the effects of this will be lived out outside of this room. And we pray that our lives will proclaim, God be praised. His spirit is with us. Church, can we stand together and sing?
should you tarry this side of heaven, your presence is the only place in this world will experience peace. Jesus, you actually equipped us for this in saying, in this world you will experience troubles. But take heart, I've overcome the world. So Lord, we recognize outside of fellowship with one another, outside of prayer, outside of devotion to your word, we will not experience peace in the world. But draw us in through your completeness, your wholeness, your peace, the absence of striving through the cross, the absence of trying to make up ways that we fall short. So, Lord, when we cry out, we just want to speak the name of Jesus over our own lives, over our families. What are we saying? We want to speak the name that brings peace and comfort and healing and right, restored relationship with God the Father. Oh, but we acknowledge our need of you to do that. We acknowledge our great Our ministry team will come forward in just a moment, but I want to invite any that would love to just have prayer. There's a number of topics that we didn't get to today, but perhaps you just have a sense of need for prayer, for healing, for for something going on in life. We want to pray with you, to pray for you. I would simply invite you to just begin to make your way forward now. I mentioned earlier that we have baby dedications. Those are something that I love just adding to the schedule as is needed. But some may be wondering, what does it take to to get a baby dedication scheduled or maybe even something like a baptism? Actually, we've we've worked to make that very easy for you. Uh, If it's been a while since you've been to our website at metrolife.org, there's actually a tab there that just says care. If you click on that, there's a number of different ways that we can seek to care for you, whether that's pastoral counseling, baby dedications, baptisms, things related to marriage and premarital counseling, things that are related to end-of-life care, and even funeral services. All of that's listed actually right on our website for you, and you can just simply fill out a form there, and we would be honored and privileged to walk with you through those moments of life, to, to be able to extend care as a part of the ministry of Christ. If you're our guest, this is not why you were invited here today, but for our church members, for those who would consider us their home church, I do want to remind you that you can give at the kiosk at the top of the ramp on your way out today or online at metrolife.org slash give. Uh, Eric is there. He's going to take you through next steps. Perhaps this is your first week. If this is your first week and you just think, I want to know more about this church outside, or maybe you've been coming for a few weeks or a few months and, and you want to know more about who we are as a church, Eric, one of our deacons here in the church who oversees our community groups, would love just a few minutes with you to explain what it looks like for us to follow, gather, serve, and belong. Lastly, can I just pray this over you as a church this morning? May the love of God surround you this week. May the wisdom of Christ guide you this week. May the power of the Holy Spirit encourage you this week as you joyfully proclaim with your lives, this world belongs to my God. And may God bless you this week as you live for his glory. I'm here to let you know what's coming up this week. 
First off, if you're looking for something fun to do with the kids this summer, join TruthQuest on Tuesday morning, June 7th at 10 a.m. at Ryder Park. They're going to play in the splash pad on the playground. It'll be a great morning, so pack your kids, pack the swimsuits, and join them Tuesday, June 7th. Men, we have another men's breakfast right around the corner on June 11th. Eddie Needham will be leading a discussion on purity and righteousness. So come ready to eat breakfast, bring a friend, bring your Bible. They'll see you on June 11th. If you have recently graduated, we would love to celebrate with you. If you've graduated from high school, college, grad school, vocational school, sign up online as soon as possible so that we can celebrate you next Sunday. That's June 12th. And lastly, if you're new here and you're looking for a way to get plugged into community, we would love to connect with you. You can fill out a connect card in our lobby or online at metrolife.org connect so that we can follow up with you. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope that you have a wonderful week.